you sit here and hear, you know, Levener's different or whatever. I try to I get that question a little bit. What makes you all different? I, you know, we're teaching the same Jesus, the same gospel. It is, a, I believe, a different mindset than most places. I'm not saying we're the only ones that teach this. Uh, but I think what we're covering today in Galatians definitely <laughs> sets us apart because it's been this way from, well, obviously about 40 A.D. till today. What, what we're dealing with today in the Scripture, Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Paul is making an argument to the churches at Galatia because he's, he's gone there on his first missionary journey and he's taught them freedom, he's taught them identity, taught them everything that, everything that you've learned or maybe even as a Gentile that you haven't learned uh, Jesus came, died, you received forgiveness, and now there's a spirit that comes and lives inside of the believer. This is the church. Okay, so if your past has been learning the law and living by the law, which gets you nowhere, uh, he's trying to set people free with the message. That's it. I think that's the thing that sets Levener apart is, is my heart, my, I love to see people get saved, all right, that, that, that we call that evangelism. I love for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But really my heart is that people will be set free from the law, people will be set free from religion, people will be set free from tradition, and that they could literally live out of the spirit that lives inside of them. If you figure that thing out, this whole room changes and this whole community changes. And this whole city changes. And that's the way God intended it to be. And so what Paul is having to deal with right here is he's taught this to the churches at Galatia. But the Judaizers came from Jerusalem and said, hey, whatever he was teaching is not true. You only got half the story. You still need to follow the law. You still need to be circumcised and everything else. And so now he's written this letter and he's trying to say, no, 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 no. Don't listen to them. Stay with me. Galatians chapter 3, he starts six arguments. I wouldn't really call them arguments, but his talking points. The first one is very personal. You had this relationship you understood what it was like in the first five verses of chapter 3. And then uh, he gets into the Old Testament. He uses the Old Testament and the law. This was what the law has done. This was the purpose of the law. And then last week we talked about the end of chapter 3. He made a very logical discussion with them. The, if, you, if you can't figure this out, then let's just logically talk about it. Now... He's getting today, we, we should be able to cover the, the fourth and fifth arguments, which would take us verses 1 through 20 of chapter 4. The next argument that he makes is more of a historical argument. Again, he 
uses the scripture and he takes the law and he says this is where it was historically. All right? And then the last one, he's going to get kind of sentimental with them today. So let's start in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. That, uh, in context of today, probably doesn't mean anything to you, but in the context of their day, they had servants, slaves, that would help raise the kids. And when you say servants and slaves, they were very well educated. So they helped teach, they homeschooled the kids back then. They taught them the law. They raised them up, helping them with their morals. And so making this jump, this story, connect with him is obviously what Paul's doing. But really what he's doing is he's drawing a contrast between being a son and being a slave. Big difference here. And in doing this, he's trying to help the Galatians understand their reliance on the law is a sign not of maturity, but one of immaturity. In other words, as a child, their slave, their servant, taught them the law. Then they eventually grow up, and they no longer have that homeschool teacher, that law teacher. They're on their own. And so he's trying to show them the difference here. You know, one of the, the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of a spiritual maturity. Like, growing up, I put people in the church on pedestals because of their behavior. There was a sense that they were more spiritually mature than others in the room because of the way that they lived their life. That they got my, my mom, for instance, she would get up early in the morning and she would go through her prayer list. I wanted to be like my mom, be a prayer warrior like my mom. And as I come to understand my own identity and my own freedom in Christ as I got older, I saw the difference in legalism and grace. And I began to teach it. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to let my mom do her thing. If she figures this thing out, she would ask the question, why, why are you so smart? I'm like, Mom, I just, it's not that I'm smart. It's just that I'm seeing things different now. I'm seeing things from a different perspective. The same Bible that you taught me, the same thing, it's just that I live my life differently now. So sometimes the legalism of it can cause you to see one as being spiritually mature when in reality it leads the believer back to a second childhood, honestly, of a Christian experience. It, their motives are absolutely right. 
You know, they, they love Jesus, they love people, but the methods are absolutely wrong. Uh, the, the old nature that was crucified when we were crucified with Christ uh, felt this an attraction for the law because the law enabled them to do things and to be able to measure their external results. I, if I do this, this, and this, then I'll be this good. And as they measured themselves and their achievements, they felt this sense of accomplishment, which leads to arrogance, which leads to pride, which leads to... Or, if you aren't successful in the spiritual disciplines, then it leads to shame and guilt. You ever been there? You don't win with the law. And this is all Paul is trying to say here is they thought they were going forward when actually they were regressing. Uh, Jim flies planes and I fly with him occasionally and sometimes he'll let me take the, what's it called? The yoke. So I take the yoke and I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just holding on to this thing flying aimlessly. I don't know what direction I'm going. I don't, I, you know, that's the bad news. The good news is I'm making good time. <laughs> and that's kind of what legalism does. It flies aimlessly. They don't know where they're going with it, but, you know, they're making good time. Verse 4, it says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son. Can, can you just sit right there for a second? God sent his son. So, first of all, we're talking about, when you say God, you're talking about an eternal subject matter. And when you say he sent, he sent his son... You're talking about divine intention. Those four words right there, you probably just read, God sent his son, no big deal. That's a big deal. My eternal God intentionally sent his son for me. And I will not pass that over. You think that he sent him maybe from Galilee to Jerusalem. Or maybe from the manger to the cross, but all the way from heaven to earth. In sending Jesus here on earth in bodily form, God did not send a substitute or a surrogate. He literally came himself. In other words, I've tried to teach this message to you through... Adam all the way through and you're not figuring this thing out. So let me just come down there and teach it to you firsthand. God sent his son. It says, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus, this is the month, this is December, Jesus was born incarnate. Jesus, the Son of God, came here on earth and took on flesh. In that sense, 
he limited himself. Once he took on flesh, he's still God. Yet he limited himself in what he was capable of doing. He became incarnate flesh. He did things... <laughs> you guys just had Thanksgiving and your relatives were here. But Jesus did things that resembled his mother. In other words, we know based upon the scripture that Jesus came in the flesh from his mom. She was a virgin. When Jesus was born, God being Jesus' father, not Joseph, even though it was his earthly father, but he still had the genes of his mother and he did things like his mother. Did you have relatives here this weekend and you said to your spouse, you know, you're a lot like your mom, you're a lot like your dad. This is Jesus. I see some of you laughing. This is Jesus. He resembled his mom. He did some things that look like Mary. And it says he came as a Jew. Sometimes this is news to people in the room, but he came as a Jew and he came under the law. He literally came to fulfill the law. Paul is not hiding this. Verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. When I read that right there, and because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts. There's an intimacy there. I always go to 1 John 2, verses 12 and 13. I write to you, little children, since you understand, since you have been forgiven on the account of his name. Verse 13, it says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. Go to that fathers. I write to you, fathers, because you know the one who is from the beginning, the creator. If, if the youngest in maturity is a child, they understand forgiveness. The next level of maturity is a young man. He understands how to overcome the evil one. The third level of maturity is this intimate relationship with the father, the creator. We... We, the church, get to have that intimate relationship with the Father because he spent, sent his spirit to live inside of us and to hang out with us every day. I don't need the law to tell me what to do. I have a spirit inside of me that leads me and guides me, and the only way that I can do that is because I know him. I know him. I know this spirit inside of me. And so look, as we talk about this, this intimacy with the creator, the one who started it all, the one who's from the very beginning, I also have to look at that part of the text right there and say, there's a difference between being children of God and sons of God. We are the children of God because of our faith in Christ. We're actually born into God's family. But every child of God is automatically placed into the family as a son. I, I'll say it, I didn't say sons and daughters, but you're placed 
in the family as a son. Why a son? Because as a son, he had all the legal rights in that day. When a sinner trusts Christ and is saved, as far as his condition is concerned, he's a spiritual babe who needs to grow. But as far as your position, we talk about position all the time because I was taught that you know my position was going to be, a, I have this position locked in, but someday I'll actually attain that position. But the truth is, my position right now, as an adult, I'm a son who can draw on the inheritance of my father's wealth here today. Oh, look, the child, look, look at this comparison. As a child, there, you come to be a child of God through regeneration. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so you're regenerated. But as a son, it says that I'm adopted that I become into the family. As a child, as a child, I'm entering into the family. As an adopted son, I'm actually enjoying the family. As a child, I'm under guardians. But as a, an adopted child of God, I live in the freedom and the liberty of being in Christ. As a child, I can't legally inherit anything until I become of age. But as an adopted son, I am an heir to the Father, and it is attainable right now. So Paul quickly makes the difference between being a child of God versus being a son of God. Verse 8, it says, But in the past... When you don't know God, you are enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? When he says the bankrupt elemental forces, he's literally talking about something that is very weak. He's talking about the law. Why would you go back to the law? Because the law is weak in its power. The law could never give a person God's nature within. Never could. That's why Jesus had to like come fulfill the law, be crucified, be buried, raise again, and send a spirit so we could have our nature replaced. The only thing the law could do is it would reveal to a person his desperate need for God's nature. That's it. That's what the law did. We said that last week. It's a mirror. It allows you to see, I need a Savior. I need a Messiah. I need somebody to save me from my sin. So when a believer goes back to the law, he's denying the very divine nature that he has within himself. And he's giving the flesh the opportunity to work. It's a big deal. Paul's literally trying to beg these people to go back to what he's been teaching them. Then he says, you observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. 
funny that we are reading that today at the end of Thanksgiving and as we move into the Christmas holidays. If you've ever heard me say around here, I don't necessarily celebrate Easter. I don't necessarily, necessarily celebrate Christmas, although we do all those things as functions. But to me, it's Christmas every day. To me, it's Easter every day. The, you, we're going to literally, we're going to take one day a year to celebrate Jesus' birth. One day? Right? You're going to take one day out of the year to celebrate Jesus raising from the dead out of the grave? One year, one day out of the whole year? We probably could be doing that every day. I mean, we literally fight for the term Merry Christmas. <laughs> Really? There's got to be a better way to communicate Jesus than one day a year. You literally are, Jesus is the reason for the season. <laughs> Jesus is the reason for me breathing. It encompasses so much more. Romans 14.5 says, one person judges one day to be more important than the other day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. <laughs> Did you get that? Some people are okay with celebrating Jesus' birth, Jesus' resurrection on one day a year. Some people are okay with doing it every day. Watch what it says. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. I'm not going to knock anybody because they want to celebrate it one day. But man, sorry for you, you're missing out. To be able to celebrate every day Jesus Christ in us, it's kind of a big deal. So now he's made this argument, he's made this argument for, for them, and he goes into his next argument where he gets kind of sentimental. You've seen his passion. You've seen his passion. Oh, you guys, you're, you're losing it. They're getting hold of you. You guys are going back to the law. Now, as a parent, you kind of get sentimental with the kid because you know that you can't make decisions for him, right? Paul knows He's not going to be able to make a decision for the church that they're going to have to make their own decisions. So now, oh, here comes the, I'll, I'll say it. Here comes the mother out of Paul. I said that. We are different mothers and fathers. Let's just admit it. But there's this sentimental argument that comes right behind it right here. It says in verse 12, I, I beg you, I beg you brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. You did not despise or reject me through, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus himself. <laughs> All right, so growing up, you go to VBS, you go to Sunday school, 
and Paul was always on this felt board with a nice-looking robe and everything else, and he was just a polite-looking, gentle man on the felt board, right? I don't think Paul looked anything like a felt board dude. He's like, I had this illness that grossed a lot of people out. We, we as uh, students of the Word, you two have like tried to figure out, well, what's he really talking about? He never goes into what this illness is that he's had. You get to verse 15, you kind of think, it has something to do with his eyes. He talks in other places about not being able to see. Luke is there writing the letter for him, but Paul actually signs the letter at the end, and it's rather a large print in his name because he has a difficult time seeing. So I think there may be something wrong with his eyes, but they don't know if it's malaria, if it's some kind of disease, but it was, it was gross to be around Paul. And he pretty much says it right here. You guys love me like an angel even though I was unlovable. Physically unlovable. And he had something just atrociously wrong with him at this point. I mean, think about it. You don't mention something terrible about yourself uh, if it's a slight issue. <laughs> but if it's obvious, okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. So here we go. It's not only because of what the student receives from the message, but it's also what they experience from the teacher. Paul's saying, hey, follow me, be like me. Dale, I appreciate your sentiment up here about me being a leader, and that's a struggle for me. Yeah, I'm up here, yeah. Uh, I'm the organizational leader of Levener. Yeah, I make plans, organize things, but look, if Jesus Christ isn't the leader of this group right here, we're in trouble. And so I humbly stand here in front of you with just the, just the pure graciousness to be able to teach and read the Word of God in front of you. And uh, here's the thing. There's no question throughout the New Testament that they followed certain leaders. They followed Apollos. They followed Paul. They followed different leaders. And Paul's like saying, follow me. I'm going to keep you focused on the word. I'm going to say the same thing to you. Take what I'm teaching right now and filter it through the word of God. And make sure that what I'm teaching you lines up correctly with the Word of God. And then I'll even say, take it a little bit further. Take it and compare it to other teachers. I, I totally believe this is what Paul's saying right here. Is like, hey, what they're teaching you and what I'm teaching you is two totally different things. And I need you to see what they're teaching versus what I'm teaching. If I can, I'll send my, we, we, we took a group of kids one time to a, a, another leadership camp in another state at a Christian university. 
And the only reason I took them there is because I wanted them to be able to hear the difference. To sit in the small groups, to sit in the services, and for them to throw penalty flags and to come up and say, they said this, they said this, they said... That's when you know they're figuring this thing out. When you can sit there and listen to someone else's message and go, that doesn't line up with the 66 books. Yes, it says this here in this section... And that makes sense, but in the context of all 66 books, let's make sense of this. In other words, you're going to hear pastors teach grace, you're going to hear them teach identity, you're going to hear them teach freedom, but at the same time, they're going to put you back in the bondage of the law at the same time. And this is exactly what Paul's arguing here in Galatians. And so now he's literally saying to him. I love you dearly, and you love me, obviously. Let's get back to what we're teaching here. Stay focused on this. Verse 15, he says, What happened to this sense of being blessed you? What happened to this sense of being blessed you had? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. There is his reference to maybe something was wrong with his eyes and they would have, they loved him so much that they would have given their own eyes for him. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They're enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them. Hmm. Look, he's saying, what, what have I taught you? This is the good stuff. What they're wanting to do, one, they waited till I left. And then they came in. And they gathered you all up. And they isolated you. And they told you a false gospel. This, my friends is the exact plan of the evil one. His, one, of his great, one of his greatest tactics is to isolate you. I know, I'll sit here and look in this room right here, and I know there's a bunch of stuff going on in this room right now. You guys are dealing with a lot of stuff. You have a lot of family in this week, and you're dealing with a lot of stuff. Christmas is coming up. I get it. But guess what? If the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he has a plan for doing that. I write to you young men because you understand how to overcome the evil one. You have to know the evil one's gameplay. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to get alone where all you're doing, listen, all you're doing is thinking. And if he can get you alone... If he can get you alone where all you're doing is thinking through the power of sin that dwells in our flesh, Romans chapter 7, he's going to send you some terrible thoughts. And you get angry, you get frustrated, the bitterness comes out, all this. But look, remember what it said, God sent his son so that he could die, be buried, raise again, so that the Spirit could come live inside of you. And when you're regenerated as a believer and you have salvation, 
you're regenerated in your mind and you have the mind of Christ. And because you have the mind of Christ, you can take those thoughts, wherever they're coming from, while you're thinking in isolation, and you can filter those thoughts and you can understand what's true and what are lies. That's the game. That's the game. It happens at three in the morning, right? You wake up, and all of a sudden you've got some weird, nasty thoughts going on, and you can't go back to sleep. Devil's playground. Thinking. How do you overcome the thoughts? How do you overcome the evil one? Know the Father. Know the Father. Know the truth. Be able to dismiss the lies by knowing, knowing, knowing Jesus. That's it. It's all Paul's like saying to him. They got you. They circled you up. They're trying to get you to go back to the law. It's going to cause you problems. His last couple of verses, he says, verse 18, he's kind of switching his argument right here. He says, now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good. And not just when I'm with you. My children, I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice. Because I don't know what to do about you. Paul's tone of voice has come in with passion and just, you've got to get this. And now all of a sudden he's changing to this intimacy and this sentiment as a father or mother to a child. He's a caring parent to the church. He is a pastor to the church. Pastor meaning shepherd. These are my sheep, and I care a lot about them. Look, they hadn't lost the experience of salvation. They were still Christians. I get that. Paul gets that. But they were, in, they were at this point losing the enjoyment of their salvation. Literally, I've sat here in the city and watched people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they got baptized, and as soon as they came up out of the waters, they're taking a pledge to the church. I, I commit to being a volunteer. I commit to giving on a regular basis. I commit, and you just put them right back under the law. And Paul's literally saying, Dear children, You've got, you've got to come to this realization. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been at a loss, for, maybe it was with your kids, have you ever been at a loss for words of what to say to them because they don't have ears to hear? Uh, wisdom says in Psalms, Psalms or Proverbs, says, wisdom at the right time is like golden apples on a silver tray. Sometimes it doesn't do any good to serve golden apples on a silver tray if they don't have ears to hear. And Paul's praying, Lord, let them hear this. 
let them be in a place where they can hear this truth and the difference. You may be so consumed by your own situation, <laughs> whether it be uh, love or pride or selfishness, but for some reason they can't hear you. Or worse yet, they refuse to listen to you. Paul loves the church in Galatia and he wants nothing but the best for them. What makes this community different? I want nothing but the best for you. I want you to understand your freedom. It's not my responsibility for you to understand your freedom. That's the spirit inside of you. It's not my responsibility to illuminate the scripture. That's the spirit inside of you. That's what I pray for you. That's what I want for you. It's the same thing Paul wanted for the church at Galatia. You figure that out, this all changes. Father, I trust you. Trust you with your word. Trust you that you continue to teach us, continue to unpack things with us, and that we can clearly see it. I pray for those that uh, got family issues going on right now. I just know there's a room full. So I, I pray that you would just comfort them and bring them peace. Pray for health for our people as well, and that we can just love one another through this season. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.